0: But you're my piece of your heart. going
1: for an hour yeah yeah right. welcome to another edition of the bcss sports rap i'm here today this is ad drew my partner brian Fulford is as doc likes to say out on assignment uh i'll i'll tell the truth he's mia no seriously though uh he had <laughs> he had something uh come up at the last minute so uh i had to make a call to uh the good doctor, Dr. Kenyatta Cavill, asked him to pitch hit for, for my partner, Brian, and uh, guys also have to excuse me. My voice is a little bit froggy today, but uh, we're going to get through this abbreviated edition of the BCS Sports Wrap. So, Doc, how you doing? Uh, have you recovered yet? I know you was running on fumes this morning. Uh, have you Were you able to get that nap in uh, after your show this morning?
0: No, I have a seven-year-old. No such thing as a nap.
1: <laughs> you know you know back in the you, day you
0: you remember those days
1: right i remember those days and i got grands that uh i had to deal with but i could send them home to their uh, mama that's the key
0: see i can't do that, <laughs> I can't do that. Yeah,
1: you know back in the day that's when our uh, parents used to give you night quill or give you those uh <laughs> those other uh concoctions that uh make you fall asleep <laughs> a little bit early back in the day but you, you know you can't do that kind of stuff now they might call it child abuse
0: no sure will <laughs> So we, you got to be careful with that.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Hey, before we go any further, I want, I want everybody to stop what you're doing right now. Like, subscribe, share, donate, and download. Download our app uh, available on Google Play and the Apple App Store. There's my JBN. Slash my BCSN, either one you search for, you download it, you'll get not only the BCSN sports rap, but Dr. Cavill's, uh Inside the HBCU Sports Lab, uh, Night, Knights of the Round Table, Carlos Brown Show, Inside HBCU Football, which follows us behind this show. You'll get the whole gamut of the BCSN family. Also, Go to your favorite favorite listening service, Spotify, Amazon Music, whatever. Download the BCSN pod zone. You will get the audio version of all of our podcasts available right there for your listening pleasure. Now that we got all that stuff out the way, Doc, let's get let's get into the business of, uh, of today. While, while we are here on this abbreviated version. They had this little uh, small game that went on yesterday. Only only 50,000 people decided to show up for this game. I'm a little disappointed we weren't able to catch the SEC attendance, but 50,000 is 50,000 no matter how you put it together. And a champion was crowned, that champion being the Jackson State Tigers. Now, we, we go back to the spring. Jackson State was one of those teams that was they 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 were pretty much a five hundred team back in the spring. They were able to spring springboard that spring into a good fall. Preview finished one game out in the spring and were able to take that and springboard that into. Uh, championship game appearance here this fall. So before we go uh, into the numbers from yesterday's game, Doc, what what do you think about now since we've had a full fall season about spring football and the spring-fall debate we were having back in July and August about whether it was good that they played in the spring, whether it was bad that they played in the spring. Just your thoughts in general uh, on that.
0: Um, I think there's like three ways at a minimum that you can look at the spring season. You know, you can look at it in terms, um, I'm going to talk about it most importantly uh, in regards to the college athletes. You know, how did it affect them? And even when you do that, you have to break that down in a couple of ways. Emotionally, I think it was positive for the students. Um, They had taken a long way off Uh, the chance that we talk about the psychological aspects of COVID-19 health related. You know, you did a show on that. We did a show on that on, inside HBCU. So we know that there's some merits in terms of how COVID-19 psychologically affected all of us, particularly young people, um, to a certain degree that, you know, suicides had increased. Um, and so I think from that pr- perspective alone, it was important to provide a sense of family, a sense of direction, a sense of opportunity. From a physical aspect, I think there are some legitimate arguments about people who are concerned and just how much wear and tear on these athletes' bodies. I think that is a, a certainly a fair assessment that should be reviewed and something that we all need to be cognizant of and consider. The third one was in terms of a, uh, I'm going to call it a branding component. Uh, particularly in this case, it was the SWAC that mostly had essentially all teams at that time, 10-member conference before. Uh, FAMU and Bethune-Cookman, while they were ratified to come in, they didn't start the season to this fall. So you had the nine of the 10 teams all for opted out for their own reason. And so for the branding opportunity, I think it was a significant boom of what we saw take place this fall. Branding economically, I think it gave a framework and a opportunity for those that may not have known about HBCUs a chance to do a second look and pivot. And some of these folks have stayed with HBCUs understanding uh, the significance of the culture, what I call the sporting HBCU diaspora. Now, there's the good and bad to that. It means that you can be exploited for your financial components of it. So you got to be prepared uh, to generate the revenue and, and to some degree, keep it on your own or that
1: expected to see possibly some torn ACLs or other overuse injuries that we tend to see. And I don't have the data in front of me, don't have any science in front of me to back this uh, statement up. But it did not seem that those type of injuries were up any more than they were in any other season. I think at the beginning of the season, in September, you had a lot of injuries from the bodies uh, the teams that did not play in the spring, from the bodies not being used to that pounding and you know getting those hits and you you have to get used to those hits again. I think those were the injuries that we saw back in September versus what I think we would have seen in late October, November when we, I think we would have seen, okay. That there, there's a torn hamstring, there's that ACL because they've played so many downs and taken so many hits over a calendar year. Did not see that, and I, and I don't know if you noticed that any different uh, for what you were sitting at, Doc, did you?
0: No, I really didn't. I think you bring up a great point in terms of the potential for more injuries. And when I was talking about the health aspect physically on the body that I was referencing, and you're right, um, I'd like to take a little deeper dive, but from a peripheral view of what i've seen, I haven't noticed a significant more amount of injuries compared to what I've seen traditionally in a contact sport such as football uh, year in year out.
1: Yeah, and the other thing was though you talk about the sWAC the sWAC was able to do something special in the spring as they were able to get out. And go from barely being on ESPN three to being prime time on the linear network ESPN and ESPN two, which pushed interest to the SWAC, which got them more opportunities to play on the linear network in the fall. And Dr. McClellan and all those at the SWAC office have leveraged those relationships and those viewers into hopefully some bigger and brighter things for the conferences. We've seen some things come along as far as sponsorships that those opportunities were not there before this spring season. And those opportunities have continued on into the fall season. So let's see where those, uh, th- those opportunities come into 2022, 2023, et cetera, et cetera.
0: I agree very much. That's why I was talking about the branding, but I like the way that you moved over and tied branding into the specific sponsorship opportunities and how that also tied into the television uh, broadcasting opportunities and how that has increased in terms of the number of games that are shown even on the streaming platform, but also moving up the dial in terms of the platform. We saw yesterday, for example, the SWAG Championship game, which is traditional ESPNU, moved to ESPN2 you know, a lot of that recognition, um, obviously, I'm sure, um, Coach Prime being a part of Jackson State and having his team in that position help with that. But generally, you've seen that across the board that you're seeing more updates and more opportunities to see SWAC teams throughout the year. Uh, You've seen it move up, like you said, up the linear stations, essentially ESPN, uh, U to ESPN2, which is significant. Um, And so that's a, fascinating component of seeing how you move that forward. Um, I certainly know uh, from my dialogue with uh, the commissioner, Dr. Charles McCullough, that his goal is to get uh, more gains on linear networks, whether that's ESPN or potentially maybe some other opportunities if some um, other networks are interested. Obviously, the contractual arrangement in terms of what they have with um, ESPN has to be reviewed and looked at. I don't know the intimate details of that, but I understood that there were some opportunities that potentially could provide um, other opportunities to broadcast games, not just on ESPN or the ESPN Family Network. So that's fascinating to look at to see what that looks like. And that becomes significant. When you talk about brand awareness that I was talking about earlier, the more opportunities you can put your institutions out in front of the landscape for those that potentially, you're talking about increasing enrollments, which we know is significant in terms of financing, not just the university, particularly athletics. Uh, Sponsorships are attached to you because now you have more um, opportunity for them to show their products to many individuals that may be likely to purchase them. And then when you're talking about also the ability to create the brand awareness of your marketing product across these landscapes become extremely important
1: as well. You know, you talk about, uh, network opportunities, you know, CBS has lost the, uh, SEC contract. I'm, I'm just throwing it out there CBS, you know, hey, we, say, same footprint. I'm just saying, no, no, but, uh, but, <laughs> but but seriously, all right, let's, let's get into the game before we, st- before we saw some mess that we can't, uh, <laughs> then we can't get ourselves out of uh this is uh 80 drew uh pitch hitting for me today. My uh host Brian is not here today. I get to move over to the big chair. So I get to put Dr. Cavill in the small chair. That don't happen too often to uh Dr. Cavill. He's usually the one in the uh in the big chair. I see so. you putting me to work. I
0: see you putting me to work. I appreciate hey, it.
1: You got, got you earned that degree, but now I'm gonna make you put it to work.
0: <laughs> <laughs> let's go, let's go.
1: All right, let's get into this game, Dr. Kavir. Uh on, on the surface, it looks like that it was a dominating performance by by Jackson State. As Jackson State won the game 27 to 10. But I've really had an opportunity to go deeper inside the numbers. Number one, you have got to give preview AM's. Defense, all the credit in the world. The defense gave up only 13 points. Let me say that again. The defense only gave up 13 points. Jackson State's other two touchdowns, one came on special teams, one came on a, on a pick six by the offense. So you got to give Prairie View's defense uh, all the credit in the world. Number two,
0: I would say this just to jump oh. in, in the other scores that you uh, speak of. That those scores that were scored on the defense were also a byproduct of the offensive Prairie be putting them in bad positions in terms of deepening their territory. So I wanted to put that on the table to um, to even maximize in terms of what you're saying about how well the defensive Prairie played.
1: And that was just the point I was getting ready to get at. But the but as good as that defense was, Dr. Cafe, Prairie View's offense was that bad. Their low touchdown came on a bit of trickeration as yeah, they three, uh three. with with the double pass in the in the first quarter to take that seven to take that seven to nothing lead. But but looking at the numbers, prairie View 14 first downs, Jackson State 16 uh first down. Rushing yards Prairie view one hundred. Jackson State one hundred and forty eight. Passing yards Prairie view one thirty. Jackson State eighty five. Total 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 yards Prairie view two thirty. Jackson State two thirty three. Even plays run Prairie view sixty five. Jackson State sixty. Average y- yards per play Prairie view three point five. Jackson State three point nine. Neither all. I don't want. I'm not i am not going to say neither offense was. Was that bad, or were both defenses that good? That that's a debate that that you can have when you when you look at these numbers. The difference in the game was the turnovers. Preview or Jack Preview turned the ball over three times in the game. Three turnovers. That was the difference in the game when, when you look at it. Your excuse me. Your thoughts on. That analysis of the game, Doc.
0: I think you're spot on. Uh, When you break it down, it it was obvious to me that the two defenses played really well. They were schematically prepared to stop um, the respective offenses that they were up against. And you talk about offenses that had played pretty well for most of the season, particularly with the play of the quarterback, the ability to run the ball. Um, Prairie View ran for an average of 2.6. Well, you say, well, what did Jackson State do? They were just a tad better, but they are at 3.4 yards a play. Um, and so it tells you to me that the defenses were able to do what they want against those offensive lines. They controlled the line of scrimmage. Um, and the difference came on those turnovers in big plays. Prairie View had five turnovers, three interceptions, but five turnovers to Jackson State's one turnover. Um, you know, uh, as much as we watch football, coach different sports and that nature, it is challenging to beat a team with five turnovers. But you're talking about a championship game, which means that you're playing, in most cases, a really good team, at least a good team. In this case, I think you have to argue that Jackson State is a really good, if not great team. Um, and it's just a challenge to beat a team like that, especially when it's your quarterback, the lead person that you want. One thing that you can say about um, – Shadour is the fact, while he didn't necessarily had his best game, he was 8 of 16. This is somebody that passes oftentimes for 70% efficiency, so and there he was 50%, so well below his average, only throwing for 85 yards. So, but what he didn't do, he only had the one interception. He had a chance to throw two, because it could have been a pick six in that game, which would have been different and seeing how that played up, which is still another case of the defense playing well. Jackson State got they picked six, if you would, on their side. Prairie didn't, which shows you a little difference in this game. Uh, third down efficiency is another case. Um, Prairie View was 4-15, but Jackson State was just 3-12. Um, they had to go – some of these teams decided to go on fourth down. Prairie was able to convert twice, 2-2, two two, but still tells you know how stingy the defense was when you're trying to travel a length of field. And I think in a lot of ways that was the difference in the game, which defense could better set up their offense not to have to go the length of the field because both teams basically showed that the defenses were not going to do it. And, in fact, that's what uh, Jackson State scored on when they had the short field is what I talked about a little earlier. So I think you give credit out to Jackson State. I think Jackson State showed that they were more consistent over the whole year about finding different ways to be successful on the field particularly when their offense wasn't necessarily doing the things they want, but in some ways, and I know we might get to this, it makes for at least a plausible argument in the me X challenge game with um, South Carolina state coming in at six and five, that it's not necessarily a far gone conclusion that Jackson state is going to get it done. You have to obviously pick them as a favorite. You would think they're going to get it done. And I think most likely they will get it done, but I think there is a puncher's chance but South Carolina State, which still makes this pretty interesting in terms of what happens there, can they do a similar thing that Prairie View was able to do, or FAMU for that matter, in terms of on the defensive side of the ball? There's some questions about that. Um, South Carolina State is not the traditional tough defense that we're used to having for them. They've been able to win more games from an offensive perspective, uh, but they played a pretty tough schedule this year, so they are certainly seasoned from seeing talented teams, they have the benefit of having more time off meaning in they're going to rest the body, uh, and they have more times to dissect and see some things in terms of what they may do uh, for themselves about creating plays. They get the quarterback that was nicked up a little bit, uh, that didn't play against Norfolk State, did not end the North Carolina a game where they were leading and uh, fighting hard and in some ways dominating that game until he left. Uh, credit to North Carolina AT, they came back. But so this is a team, if you're not careful, they lost to Alabama A&M last second. That this is a team that a couple of plays here and there, and they could have two or three more wins on their schedule. So instead of looking at six and five, you can see them at nine and two. Um, so those are some things that you want to consider too, that they may be a little more formidable of a poll than you think. But getting back to this game, just to close out that thought. Is a lot of credit goes to Jackson State defense that was able to not only stop and hinder Prairie View, but also make sure they put their offense in a good position to make sure they can score enough points uh, where they can hold on and, and close out the game. Winning twenty
1: seventeen. Yeah, well, you know, we're gonna see if they, if we go back to the old buddy pew in uh with South Carolina State. You know, the old phrase was. But if Pugh doesn't pass even on the interstate. <laughs> that might be his philosophy when he gets to the, uh, swag, to the uh, celebration ball. And before we go to this break, Doc, I need you to write this out. I've got a homework assignment that you can give out, especially to 1876 Sports and Culture and the pregame show when you get back to the lab. And that is, of all, of all the players on the two deep chart from these two teams that play in the championship game, how many of them played in the spring? Because I know Jackson State had a significant group of players who was able to practice, but not play in the spring because they were transferred. They transferred in. I wonder how many on Prairie View did not play in the spring. So they were on their normal body clock. I, I, I'm just curious to look into that. It, it's just something that came up while we were having that previous conversation. So, what we're going to do Three right here now, now is we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're gonna get into the CIAA championship game. You're watching the BCSN Sports Wrap with Brian and AD. Special guest, Dr. Kenyatta Cavillo from Inside the HBCU Sports Lab. We'll be right back. Maureen is saving big holiday shopping at Amazon, so now she's free to become Maureen the Marrier. Food is her love language, and she really loves her grandson. Like, really loves. For 200 years, Montgomery, Alabama has been making history by people who had the courage to stand up for change. Today, this riverfront city has been reborn, embracing the past and looking forward to the future. From the National Memorial for Peace and Justice to the stage of the Alabama Shakespeare Festival, this is where history was and is made. We are proud to call Montgomery home, and together, we can be the change. Supermarket sushi, really?
0: No. Wait, Troy, you work here? I'm
2: never not working. Like head and shoulder scalp shield technology, up to 100% dandruff protection, even between washes. Never not working,
0: huh? Oh, Troy, you're such a good teacher. Yeah, I (laughs) know.
2: Never not working. Never not working. Never, ever not working. Are you serious? Never not
1: working. Dandruff protection that's never not working. Head and shoulder scalp shield technology. Are you? We're back on the BCSS Sports Rap. AD Drew here. Joining me today is special guest Dr. Ken Yadakaville of Dr. Kavil's inside the HBCU Sports Sports Lab. Uh, Dr. Kaville, CIAA champion, Bowie State, lost yesterday, 41-17 to Gulf South champion Val Dosta. State in Valdosta, Georgia, uh, Bowie State gave up 533 yards of total offense to a team that was, that is arguably one of the best offensive teams in the nation and probably the, you know, we say the SWAC is the, is the SEC of the FCS. Probably the Gulf South is the SEC of Division II, especially with their style of play and the athletes uh, that they have. And, yes, everybody, notice the footprint. They're all in their southeastern portion of the United States. But uh, getting back and breaking down some some of the numbers, uh, Valdosta State, 185 uh, total rushing yards, 72, 348 to to 149 total office 533 to to 221. Uh third third down efficiency. Valdosta State was six of 15 versus Bowie four of 13. They were two for three on fourth down Bowie state was oh o for one. Uh looking at some of the individual uh as Jerome Johnson. 14 for 28, 149, two touchdowns, no interception, but he was sacked. He was sacked two times. Uh Clear Wilkerson had 62 yards on 50, 15 attempts. And leading the way in reception was uh Rainey Nix with three receptions for 50 yards and Quincy Hall with five receptions for 47 yards, uh, defensively for Bowie state. Uh, Jordan Carter had six, had six solos. Josh, Joshua Pryor, excuse me, Jordan Carter had nine totals, total tackles, six of them solo. Joshua Pryor had six totals, uh, tackles. Uh, Jonathan Ross did have, did have a sack on today, So, uh, Dr. Cavill, Bowie State, probably right now the class of Division II football for HBCUs. Uh, Just your thoughts overall on on their season this year and anything you want to throw out about this particular game. In this particular game, I'll start
0: there first um, tough matchup. Uh, the offense for Bowie State was not able to get anything going. It's not so much that they uh, put their defense in bad spots in terms of turnovers and fumbles like that. They were clean on that side of it, but they couldn't get third downs. They were they were not able to move the ball, and I think that's what you got to do against Valdosta State. You know they're going to score. They're high-powered. They've showed that consistently. They actually put them under their average, which was pretty good, Um, But you would have to score with them. The teams that have beaten them have been able to just really outscore them and get a couple of key plays here. Um, You couldn't see this in the matchup. Um, They dominated in terms of things like first downs, as you spoke of, 29 to 14 to give you some indication, Uh, 185 rushing yards to 72, 348 passing yards to 149 which is one of the biggest indicators, 500 yards, total yards. as You talk of two twenty one. So for me, it was the fact that you just could not uh, see um, the offense for Bowie state being able to make enough plays to put up some points to score against. But also and then after a while, the games get away. But I thought the defense really played uh, pretty well uh, um, against that. For example, you just had, Valdosta State was just 6 of 15 uh, on the third down conversions, 2 of 3 on 4. So they were able to get a couple of key stops, but they were able to put some big plays on the board. Um, so it wasn't like they consistently could walk down. Offense against the
1: top-rated HBCU defense. Last week we had Southeastern Louisiana versus Florida A&M University. This week we have a Valdosta State Versus a booby state. Why, as good as our defenses are, it is especially when we're playing within the HBCU sphere. Why is it that these offenses at these other schools are seeming to be able to dominate us? You know, for for lack of a better word, that good offense beat that good defense two consecutive weeks in a row.
0: I think the game has changed in a lot of ways. And so we used to say that defense wins championships. And that's true in terms of defenses being key and putting you in that position. But I think you have, you can have a great defense. um, But that means you have to have at least solid offense. And I think that's what you've seen this year. um, While these offenses have been able to get it done against, Um, Other HBCUs that may have had good defenses, not so much, they would do that. When you run into an equally as talented team, you have to be more balanced. And I think in these cases, while you've seen the great offensive versus the great defense, what we sometimes ignore is the flip-flop of the matchup on the other side of the ball. And I think what you were showing is that you had some – offenses on one side, particularly in this case, HBCUs, um, that were not able to do enough against the defense of the HBCUs. Um, One thing that I've wanted to put on the table in terms of what I've seen, and I've gathered this research looking at high schools In the state of Texas, so we can make it specific this, and this may be similar to other districts or counties across the country, uh, particularly through the South, but in the state of Texas, we have districts. And they, they zone these districts into neighborhoods. And obviously, you look at the neighborhoods in terms of financial wealth of that neighborhood. I'm not so much talking about that part of it, but oftentimes, when you look at um, the classification, is the number of students you know in a classification. So, in the state of Texas, the classification goes up to 6A, right? And in 6A, that means you have the largest classification. The largest classification. Right. And so at a 1A level or a Division two level, if we take it back to college, usually the differential between the enrollment size institutions are smaller. So the aggregate of an HBCU playing what I refer to as a HWCU, historically white college university, the gap at that level is smaller. And we go down, if you look at NIA or go down and look at Division three. if we had them playing at that level, we don't, in football at least. But as you move up, the exacerbation in terms of the population size of your school gets larger. So what does that mean in plain terminology? The larger institution means that you have a bigger pool of talent you can pick from. right? And so if I'm a 6A school, I have more talent, which means the competition to make the team is deeper. That means the competition in terms of my depth charts are bigger. Well, you take that into when you look at historically white colleges and historically black colleges. Traditionally, when you think about a historically black colleges, and it, it's always been open, it's not because they won't recruit, but you also have other individuals who do not necessarily look at the opportunity to be a minority in an institution when in society they tend to be the majority. So if you're a historically black college, you're going to recruit to what you know, regions you want. It's not that you will to be open, but you have a smaller pool because traditionally you're going to essentially uh, recruit African-American or black students, whichever term you want. That's already a small population. Now I know that everybody likes to think that all we do is play sports. So you should have your sample size. Well, I, I hate to break it to you. That's not true. Plus when you're in a smaller population, that means that your ability to navigate the best talent is not there. Well, we already know that the, best talent, generally speaking, uh, a lot of generalities here, but go with me in terms of this question is, is they're being recruited by Power 5. That chunk, when you have your next group, where you're going to be fighting for those G5, they're going to take a large group of the African-Americans. So you start to whittle down to see the level of talent that you're getting, and now you're facing off against FCS programs. So your sample size of what you're able to pull from talent is Depleted is smaller. What we do the reverse side, you got a larger population of European Americans that are also playing sports, right? And I know some people like to think there's a difference in the talent uh, differential. I don't believe that at all because I don't get any hypocritical in terms of the physical masculinity things. I think there is a cultural relevance that you tend to have a lot more economic difference, right? That are playing sports certainly economic difference, but if you play sports. Uh, a lot, there's a likelihood that somebody in that population is going to be pretty good, right? Uh, uh, versus if you have more opportunities in a different ethnic group, yeah, you're going to have some pretty good folks, but you're going to also have those that are not, and they can go on and do other things because they have the economic, as you talking about, the opportunity to do those things. So I say all this to say that it's a challenge, and I don't think we ever look at this challenge. We just look at the naked framework of this program is FCS and we're FCS. And by definition, we're both FCS. Yeah. We have similar um, regional areas that we look at that we should be able to compete. But we're not looking at the sample size of the population that you're recruiting towards. And so FCS, historically white colleges, they get to pull and recruit after African-American blacks, but they also get to recruit essentially from European, American and whites in terms of the population. So their team's a lot more diversity. So if you go back to what I was giving you, the sample size of a 6A school with a deeper pool, that means you have a deeper talent acquisition that you can get at. Uh, And I think that's a bigger explanation of why the challenges you're having between HBCUs when they face up against historically white colleges. And that's not even to get into revenue distribution when we talk about the funding capabilities of African-Americans that are coming out of their first generations of wealth, of trying to build wealth and ability to donate back um, should be done. But their ability to do it at the rate that you see our counterparts in terms of European-Americans and whites is not there. So they tend to own the businesses. They tend to have uh, generational wealth a lot more. So that means that they can donate back at a higher rate. So your financial gap is displaced. And we're not even talking about the federal spending of how states have minimized what they give to HBCUs than they do to historically white colleges, which means there's a desperation in terms of the difference in what that looks like in terms of participating in sports. So that's a lot to say that there's a lot more out there than what meets the eye in terms of some of the concerns you have in the simple game of playing sports and the difference in terms of why, be, haven't been able to be as
1: competitive when you get deeper into the playoffs, yeah. And, and it's interesting, uh, that you transition that, uh, especially when you start talking about historically white uh, colleges and minority players and everything, because that's a perfect transition into this article that I wanted to uh, get into. And I, we're over time for our break, but I've got to get into this article, Bryce Witt. In the HBCU Legacy Bowl, now there some of the other quarterbacks invited to the HBCU Legacy Bowl include Jawan Carter from Norfolk State, very deserving; Aquiel Glass, Alabama A and M, very deserving; Felix Harper, Allco State, very deserving. And I'm not saying Bryce Witt is not deserving or not. Here's the controversy with Bryce Witt's selection. To the HBCU Legacy Bowl. Number one has nothing to do with race. I want to put that out there. This has nothing to do with Bryce Witt being a European American quarterback. What it has to do with is the fact that Shawan is not at HBCU, at least from where I sit at. Shawan is not at HBCU, but Shawan, along with Spring Hill, are the only two non HBCUs that compete in traditional HBCU conference. Spring Hill in Mobile, Alabama, who competes in the SIAC, and Shawan, who competes in the CIAA. That is the issue number one. You know, and the question is because they play an HBCU schedule. They compete in the HBCU conference. They have a 56% minority enrollment, African American enrollment at their university. Should they be eligible as a team and individually for HBCU awards? I'm going, I'm gonna leave it. I'm gonna leave it right there. We know they're eligible for CIAA, whatever. But on a national level, should we recognize Shawan? And if we recognize Shawan, we have to recognize Bryce Witt, no, no doubt about it. But if we don't recognize Shawan, do we recognize Bryce Witt because he has competed against Af- African Americans as a four-year starter at Shawan, and two of those four years they were full-time members in the CIAA conference? I've talked too
0: long, Doc. Please, please uh, help me out here. Well, I'll keep this pretty simple. I go back, what are your guidelines? Are your guidelines that say that an individual that plays in what many people would refer to as a historically black college conference? Is that the rule, or is the rule referencing that an individual has to play for a historically black college? Well, I have at least quoted what the HBCU Legacy Bowl states, and they have the right to change it, you know, but so maybe they have changed it since they've written the original rule, uh, which people amend their bylaws all the time. So I wouldn't have a problem with that. But the bylaws, as quoted, says the HBCU Legacy Bowl, quote, is a postseason all-star game showcasing the best NFL draft eligible football players from historically black colleges and universities. I'll ask you, is Shawan designated by the federal government as a historically black college? No. So based on the rules that they gave me, uh, the statement they made, then if you're not from a HBCU, a historically black college, then you're not eligible. If you look at the black and white of it, the
1: debate is over right there. If you look at the black and white, forget all the thinking and layman's term and barbershop talk and all this stuff. Just based on that black and white that you just read to to me, we can go to break. But (laughs) it's more, it, it seems like it's more to it than that, though, Doc.
0: Yeah, I'm sure people can look at it in different ways and break it down. And I'm fine with that. And I would be like, they make probably, would I would say, you make a great point. But, you know, you got to remember as a professor, academic professor, I ask you to read uh, documents for the for the frame, you know, or when I do journalistic articles, I'm simply talking about putting the guidelines and the facts in front of them. So for me, it's pretty simple. I'm not going to waste a lot of time and energy creating an argument if I know the baseline of the guidelines. Again, it's an organization. They have every right to amend their bylaws if this is part of their bylaws in terms of what they want to do. If they've done that, that's fine. It changes everything in the statement of argument. All I'm reading is what they state. So I'm not sure why there's a big, robust debate about this. Again, I'll read it one more time. Maybe I misread it. It says the (laughs) HBCU legacy Boat is a postseason all-star game showcasing the best NFL draft eligible football players from historically black colleges and universities in quote. It didn't add in historically black conferences. It didn't add in historically white colleges or Native American institutions, minority serving institutions or institutions that have large African-American black populations as eligible to participate in their game. If they put all that in there, I'd be like, what's the problem?" They say clearly, in the statement that this individual is eligible. Based on this, the individual is not eligible. Again, it's so not my you... game. I'm not going to boycott it or anything like that. But that's you right. asked me a simple statement. I'm just saying that's what your guidelines say. So I'm confused.
1: So so do you have a problem with him participating in the game from Shawan University? Just Dr. Cavill.
0: Does Dr. Cavill have a Issue with it? No, I don't have an issue with it. I mean, it's their event, it's whatever. Um, If you ask me what is their rules, I'm gonna tell you what the rules is. But right. in terms of whether I have a problem with it, no, it's not my. This is not my game. I'm not making money off this. I'm not researching this. Uh, it's no sweat off my back. They can do what they want to do. I'm just saying that's what the rules is. <laughs> my my
1: thing is if he 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 he's played in a. He's played against black competition, pretty much,
0: you know. Yeah, but if you say that, that means anybody from any historic yeah. white college should be eligible. Uh, they, Most they, folks. They, I mean, they, we know the rules are that what sixty percent right. of African Americans are playing sports, so
1: they play they, they play a HBCU football schedule every season. Correct. They, so they need yeah. they
0: need to they need to amend the rules and say, and if you play a majority of historically black college universities schedule, you're eligible. Yeah. You know, I, and I wonder if
1: this debate would have went on if this game would have come around in 2019 and Ryan Stanley from a Florida A&M was right because in theory, just, just in theory, you're thinking HBCU, you're thinking black players and you've got a white quarterback. As Ryan Stanley was for Florida. And well, I, I think that would, quarterback. that
0: would be different to me as if they specifically said that this is for minorities or African American athletes. Th- there are They're people champions. out
1: there who <laughs> are going to make that argument, doc. That's why I bring it up. Uh,
0: I think they I didn't say you
1: problem. and I would make
0: that argument. No, I agree I, with you. I would just think they would be disingenuous. So they'd be misleading in regards to that. I'm simple. As I said, it's a statement. Follow the statement. We don't have to get into this big filibuster, you know, emotional feel. I know y'all like to be debatable and all this and critique and all these fancy things. Uh, if you did this and you were in my class and you had these guidelines, I'd give you an F squared because you didn't <laughs> follow the guidelines. It's pretty simple. Black and white, you know, either you follow the guidelines or you don't. I'm grading based on this premise. You can't come back and give me a paper and say, Well, I thought oh, I wanted to do it like this. And I'd be like, This is a great paper. You didn't follow the rules, so that means you get an F squared change the rules, change the statement, update it. I'm not my fault. You wrote that.
1: Well, since Dr- I said
0: last time, and then I'm ready to go to break. I had no more statement because I just want to make sure that y'all understand that I can read and I'm not crazy. <laughs> the HBCU Legacy Bowl, quote, is a postseason all-star game showcasing the best NFL draft-eligible football players from historically black colleges and universities. I ask you again, is Shawan an HBCU? No. All right. What's the what? No more day. I'm I'm finished.
1: Next, Says doctor, doctor hurt my feelings, and baby, go see if I uh if I'm still eligible to use the withdrawal policy at school. We get ready to go to break while I do that research on the withdrawal policy. You're watching the BCS Sports Wrap uh, with Brian and AD. Special guest, Doctor Kenyatta Kavir. Inside the HBC Sports Lab.
2: Mango's Caribbean Restaurant, 180 Auburn Avenue, right next to Royal Peacock. In downtown Atlanta. For more info or directions, call 404-698-3992. Or log on to Mango'sCaribbeanRestaurant.com. For instant coupons, text M-A-N-G-O-S to 313131.
1: Tell your mama hungry, papa hungry, brother hungry. Mango's Caribbean
2: hungry. Restaurant. Authentic Caribbean cuisine.
1: Oh, oh. Charmin Ultra Soft has so much cushiony softness, it's hard for your family to remember. They can use less.
2: Sweet pillars of softness.
1: This is soft. Holy Charmin. Excuse me. Roll it back,
2: everybody. Sorry. Charmin Ultra Soft is so cushiony soft, you'll want more. But it's so absorbent, you can use less. So it's always worth it. Now, what did we learn about using less? You gotta roll it back, everybody. (laughs) We all go. Why not enjoy the go with Charmin? It's...
1: Welcome back to the BCSN Sports Wrap. Hey, D. Drew, over in the big chair, because Brian Fulford is not here today. So joining me in the, in chair two is Dr. Cavill of Dr. Cavill's Inside the HBCU Sports Lab with Mike Washington and Charles Bishop. Before I go any further, Doc, uh, tell everybody, everybody already know where to find you and all that stuff, but I still like to give you an opportunity to talk about yourself. Go ahead, tell them. You're sure right,
0: because I'm sure y'all have many viewers that we don't have, and we'd love for them to come over there and check us out on Inside the HBC Sports Lab. That's Dr. Cavill's Inside the HBC Sports Lab with Mike Washington and Charles Bishop. Uh, We do a show every Tuesday and Thursday at 6 p.m. Central Standard Time, and we also do a wrap-up show on Sunday at 9 a.m. before you leave uh, for church or get into the rest of your morning. Um, And so... Check us out. We talk about all things HBCU, what I call the sporting HBCU dashboards, HBCU sports culture. And as you heard early in the show, we also talk about the business of sports.
1: And it's not too often that uh, get on here, really get to, uh, get deep into the business side of, of it. You know, Brian and I do a lot of game analysis, but we do take our time and try to get into the business aspects sometimes. But when I've got Dr. C- Cavill here, I'm going to take this opportunity to get deeper into the business of sports. Uh, Be it Dr. Kavir's show, be it our show. Like, subscribe, share, download, and donate. I'm not going to go through the big speech Mariah does. I'm going to make it as simple as possible. All right, Dr. Kavir, as we get ready to uh, close this show out, I did want to bring up this one thing. And I'll just read this uh, verbatim, but this is per HBCU Game Day. This article actually came out on Friday. I missed it. I just came across it today. The Birmingham Squadron of the G League announced on Friday that the team has inked a partnership with Miles College to become the official HBCU partner of the Birmingham Squadron. Miles College, a leading historical black college in Fairfield, Alabama, which is a suburb of Birmingham, for those who do not know, uh, will work with the squadron to give students hands-on experience working in sports, in sports business in order to develop the next generation of, indi- of leaders in the industry. And the Birmingham squadron are affiliated with the New Orleans Pelicans of the NBA. Just thought I would throw that in also. Uh, Dr. Kavir, Your your, your thoughts on on this uh, historic uh, partnership?
0: I think it's fascinating, the opportunity, at least in terms of what I could read. I'd love to get a little more backstory in terms of some of the particulars about how this is really going to play out. But from a surface level of what I can tell, um, the natural mix between the HBCU and the G League, particularly for students and their ability to get involvement in terms of what we would call sport management or simply the business of sport, it's significant because every time you open those doors for individuals to get an opportunity to, to find a career and it's something that they may love, I think that's great. So that perspective, I'm all on board. Uh, I'm interested to see, I couldn't tell from this article, are they going to get to use the facility there um, in terms of sharing a facility? Where are the actual games going to be played? That would be information. That would be interesting to me. And if they are, uh, are they providing some financial support in terms of like, quote unquote, rental facility if they're using it uh that would obviously be even more beneficial because you would get the income off of it
1: yeah well the facility that uh the birmingham squad is going to play in this is not in this article but i know this uh from being having dealt with the birmingham area and being from alabama is the legacy arena which is formerly Mm -hmm. the bjcc birmingham jefferson county convention Uh, center and that is the former home of University of Alabama, Birmingham, where they used to play their basketball games at. UAB built a on-campus arena.
0: Bartlow uh, Arena, is it still yeah, called?
1: Barto Arena. Uh, Legacy Arena, as it's now called, is the home of the AHSAA, Alabama High School Athletic Association, basketball finals. So that's what, that's that main, arena's, one of the arena's events that they have there. That arena is about, 15, 20 minutes from Miles campus. There is a secondary arena that's also owned by the city of Birmingham. Fair Park Arena, it's changed its name. I don't know what the new name is, but we've called it Fair Park Arena. It's an older arena that is about uh, three miles from uh, Miles' campus. And they have played some satellite satellite games there. I know that's normally where Tuskegee and – Biles played at because Biles on campus arena was not big enough to hold that basketball game for instance. So uh, I don't, I don't know that would be good, but I don't think that would be good for the Biles fan base to consistently play games at that particular arena because of the distance from its core fan base to downtown Birmingham. And of course, you know, when you get downtown in any city, you got to deal with the parking you got to deal with the traffic and all the other things that come from being downtown so yeah it would be good as it's it's a smaller arena i believe uh i think it may, may seat for basketball 10 to 12000 so it's not a huge arena mm. but obviously you like to enter the intimacy of being On campus, uh, if you can, or in the satellite arena, which uh, Fair Park Arena, which I think seats 8000, if I remember correctly. Been a few years since I've been into that.
0: You talk about the Barlow Arena uh, as history would have it. Nineteen years ago um, this month, if you would, two days from now, I created the inaugural Heritage Basketball Invitational Classic, which featured Alabama A&M Bulldogs versus South Carolina State um and the, the division two matchups the headline matchup was miles college bears versus benedict college tigers yes the see so i'm familiar with that area in history and that so it's fascinating to see how these things shake up and come around thought i would sneak that in there and share that a little bit for those who don't realize how much I, how long i've really been working at this craft and been in the business and, and done it for so many different angles so um well, it would be nice
1: if we could get another one of the basketball classics started back up in, uh, in a few well, of these. Well, not. you know,
0: we got the hidden brains of this operation in the background a lot, of That, and that's Roy Evans, and he's given me some latitude to help work on, put these things together. So he's working feverishly to try to make those things happen, so I'd love to see, uh, you know, what that work uh, looks like. You know, I've gained so much more uh, of the background to probably help to see how you facilitate something like that. It's a challenge um but back to your original point in in terms of what this looks like um again i think the relationship is good and i think you're exactly right be interesting and maybe they could even at least come over and maybe practice on campus or something to kind of create relationships of what that looks like how do you govern a practice for those that want to be around it certainly the fact that they get to go and students go over there to work at the facility again to see different operations of what it looks like in a sporting environment i have um um friend over there is so a big time miles college bear uh alumni and fan obviously he always gives me a check uh, and checks on me um in terms of that i know he would be in it but he's told me that the miles college has some interest in looking at maybe bringing in sports management asked me to look and consider doing some consulting work about developing a curriculum and certainly i'm open to that but even with that said uh, I think this opportunity, even from the business students that are in the business schools to look at that, is a great opportunity so you to make the best of it and so I think it'll be fascinating to see how this culminates and how this moves forward all right
1: uh we get ready to get out of here. just a couple things uh doc football is over nice time to shift gears, got basketball, indoor track swimming uh a, a few, a few other things uh, th- that's going on uh, to occupy our time. Couple points I wanted to bring out about uh, basketball. Look at the NAIa and look at what some of our teams are doing in the NAIa. Talladega's men and women, top ten in the nation. Spring, uh, steelman men, just outside the top ten in the NAIa. Langston's women, with Ashika Alexander, who was drafted, who was signed as a free agent with the Minnesota Minnesota Lynx, and came back to college, off to a nine and two start in the SIAC. You've got Biles women six and zero. You've got Tuskegee women four and one. You've got uh, Benedict women six and three. SIAC women going to take a big. Uh, it's go- it's go- going to be big. Looking over on the men's side of the of the SIAC. Benedict five and three on the east side. Miles only played a couple of games, but I have seen Miles play. They will be a force to reckon with in the in the uh SIAC. Moving over to some of the uh CIAA, C-I-A-A teams. Uh, and it's amazing when you look at the CIAA, it seems like the schools that are down in football always excel in basketball. Looking at the looking at the women's side, Elizabeth City, hey, hey, didn't know anything about them in football. Look at their men and women basketball, Johnson C. Smith, once again, women's basketball, another one of those schools that were was not doing too good in uh in football, but really uh, stand it out in basketball. On the band side, you got a Virginia State at five and two, Elizabeth City at four and two, Winston Salem at six and two. Anybody in, a, in the big boys you wanted to bring out, Doc? Before we get out of here,
0: uh, in terms of the mid major, I think you covered that pretty extensively. I think it's interesting uh, how, for the longest, we thought CIAA was a basketball conference, uh, SIEC was a football conference, and it seems to some degree that may be flipping. Uh, in terms of sports, certainly in terms of what we've seen Bowie State do, as they will, uh, in football, will have uh, be uh, at the top of the list, obviously, win so many different people's major, mid-major division um, championship, which would be the third in four years. And the only reason it's not four in four years is the fact they didn't have a 20, um, 2020 season. So that's three consecutive championships, it looks like they will take home in terms of the best uh, HBCU mid-major football programs I like to talk about. It. But flipping back to basketball, your original question you look at, yeah, I think it's, it, it's, it's going to be an interesting season for the SIAC and CIAA. I would say in the terms of the mid-major programs, keep your eyes on, uh, in the MEAC right now, it is Norfolk State. They're running away with it, nine wins. It um, looked like they were going to tip off and get their 10th win, but they had a shot at the buzzer against a rival in Hampton. They got a little payback uh, when they were um, um, got beat up in the Phoenix uh, Classic out there. And so they did take that L um, the other day. So I'm um, interested to see what Hampton does. Quietly, Howard is playing some good basketball. They got a couple of Divi- Division One wins. Morgan State, they kind of looked like they were playing some basketball. They did run into the buzzsaw, a grambling in that uh, Chris C- Carter in terms of um, the basketball class that they had up there in uh, uh, Phoenix, excuse me, there in terms of that. But in terms of the swack, I'm fascinated to see what Southern has done. They've had, they've had three Division I wins quietly. Jackson State has had two Division One wins on this early season. Alcorn State, uh, that people need to keep their eyes on, uh, former assistant coach down there at Prairie View is getting it done in a lot of ways for, for the Braves as they've gotten, uh, two division one wins. So I'm always interested as you play this non-conference, uh, the equal, unequal schedules, but you see teams come in 0 and 8, 0 and 7, uh, which Texas Southern and Prairie View that are predicted on the men's side to be at the top of the race in terms of what that looks like, along with Jackson State, um, Texas Southern and Prairie View haven't got a win on the season. They play these arduous non-conference schedules, but they usually are able to eke out a win or two. They haven't done that yet, so I'm fascinated to see what that may mean as you get into the season. Um, And so that's what I see going on there. Obviously, Tennessee State has um, uh, had a rough go of it on the men's side uh, as they have played a, a respectable schedule. Particularly, I like what they've done in terms of the HBC matchups, but they haven't been able to uh, really uh, get any W's in that. There. As uh, they're 0 and 2 against the SWAC, 0 and 1 against the MEAC In terms of what that looks like, lost to Chicago State, which is not an HBCU, but in terms of the population, would be a historically black college in terms of minority-serving institution. So I'm continuing fascinating fascinated to kind of see if they can get over the hump, obviously. Percy Miller, which was a big off-season recruiting, particularly with out for the, the son of Master P. He's out for the season. Uh, North Carolina a thought that they may have been able to get some stuff done in non-conference. They got a win, a couple of wins, Division one wins. Uh, but they haven't just been a world beat us. It'll be interesting. Can they settle down and get in conference play? And then obviously, Hampton, we talked about, uh, you always got to look at their, their program with the coach there. They get it done. On the women's side, uh, Hampton is still back in the uh, business. Norfolk State is doing really well. And then on the women's side in the SWAC, you see some teams struggling. But it would be interesting to see when they get in conference play besides Jackson State. Jackson State has got a couple of wins, but they're looking good in terms of UAP uh, seeing a 3 Yeah. And so UAP has quietly got a couple of Division One wins. And they started off hot last year. Can they continue that streak? And as they get into conference play, can they actually keep it up this year? I'll be interested to see what that looks like in terms of them turning around. So that's kind of my Division One basketball. I really don't get into Division One basketball until January. But this is the perfect week that you do start to turn your eye to basketball in terms of men's and women's because you got that week off before you get to the conclusion, the official conclusion, if you will, of the HBCU football season and the celebration vote. So um, it'll be interesting to sneak some of that in. So I'm glad that you looked at basketball, both uh, as you see in Ernest play, the SIC, CIAA Division II teams are getting into conference race, uh, but you're starting to see a little more action at the Division I level as well as they start to be preparing to get in their conference races uh, late December and early January. Yeah.
1: Morgan State, Bradley, Shaw, Howard, Coppin' Women, all 500 or better er, early on in the season. And, A, we, next week, hopefully, we'll get into some indoor track because it is track season also, and I love I love me some track. Well, I thank uh, Dr. Kenyatta-Kavir for co-hosting with me uh, today. We've got to get out of here, make way for B.J. Jones to come in with Inside HBCU Football. Once again, Doc, tell them where the Tell them at. Tell them where they can watch at
0: quickly yes you can find me on social media platforms uh, that's instagram twitter facebook at dr kenyatta cavill that's d-r-k-e-n-y-a-t-t-h-c-a-v-i-l again it's d-r-k-e-n-y-a-t-t-h-c-a-v-i-l all the fans out there that supported me this week uh in jackson mississippi just want to shout out appreciate you supporting the show like subscribe make sure you download my JBN uh as we continue to do the work for you. My BCSN download. We need the support. We want the support. Like and subscribe inside the HBCU Sports Lab on YouTube and Facebook. Uh, and let's get it done and support my partners right here, as I'm sure Drew will let you know where you can find the rest of it. I can't wait to see what BJ Jones has to say in the next hour. Anything Black
1: College Sports Network related, you can follow us on social media at my BCSN and the number one at by BCSN and the number one. My producer is in my ear. So I'm gonna get ready to get us out of here. You can follow me online at BCSN Drew at BCSN D-R-E-W. You can catch my partner Brian Fulford on Twitter at DRB three six five. So for Dr. Kigaticaville, uh producer Roy Evans behind the scene. And my partner, Brian Fulford, who could not be here today, this is a d drew. Hope you' all have a good week, good night, and we don't we don't do a course lecture dismiss here Doc We just say we will holler but you know,